Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with one of the most respected college football writers in America, the athletics' Stuart Mandel. In our conversation, we get into why he has Ohio State picked third in the Big Ten East, going 10-2 and two on the season, and how big the gap between Michigan and Penn State, who he has 1-2, and two, is with the Buckeyes. We talk about what OSU would need to do on both offense and defense in order to get back to the top of the Big Ten Mountain and potentially win a national title. We also discuss Ohio State's offensive line and running game, and we get into the next round of college football conference expansion, which could bring Stanford, Cal, and SMU to the ACC as early as, I don't know, now, and maybe it already happened, who knows. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to let you know about a contest that the Fans First Sports Network, which the Land Grant Podcast Network is a part of, is conducting between now and September 4th. If you are an NFL fan, or even if you're not, to be quite honest, and you would like to attend your favorite team's week one game, well, we have a chance for you to do just that. The Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice up to $5,000. And what's even better is we're not asking you to jump through a ton of hoops in order to register. All you have to do is go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information there. It's really just your email address. And then you are officially entered to win four free tickets to any week one NFL game in the country. So what are you waiting for? You can do that while I'm wrapping up this intro before we get into the conversation with Stuart Mandel. Just head over to contest.fansfirstsports.com, put in your email before September 4th, and you will be entered for a shot to see your favorite team in action during week one. All right, with all of that now out of the way, here is my conversation with The Athletics' Stuart Mandel. All right, Stuart, I, I feel like we have to start with a thing that I think most Ohio State fans will be a, a little wary of and a little upset about, so we can get it out of the way first. You have in your predictions Ohio State going 10-2 and two on the season, which is a fairly good record, but that puts them behind both Penn State and Michigan in the standings for the Big Ten East at 7-2 and two in conference. That doesn't necessarily mean you're not picking them to necessarily lose to both of those teams. They could lose to... Wisconsin or, or Minnesota or somebody else. But where do you think the gap is between Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State who you have ahead of them? Is it a big gap? Is it a little gap? Is it some of the, the unanswered questions still on the team? What's the difference between those top three teams in the East? I don't think there's any gap. Uh, I think it's a situation where you have three really good teams. You know, maybe I put Michigan like a quarter of a notch above the other two just because they are the two-time champs. And I think at least on paper, this team they have should be better than even the last two. You know, Ohio State has obviously had Penn State's number for many years now. So I'm fully aware that picking Penn State to finish a game above them is uh, is contrarian. Um, but I I think it's more about how much I like Penn State and how much and what they have coming back with those running backs. I think it's going to be... Uh, uh, incredible defense if everybody stays healthy, you know, and that's a that's a big difference between the two right now. Not that Ohio State by any means is bad on defense, and in fact could have one of the most dominant pair of defensive ends in the country, if not the most. But the last couple of years they haven't been in that elite category of defenses, and I do think 
uh, Michigan for sure and Penn State most likely, if you had to guess right now, will have top five to ten defenses nationally. Yeah, I, I think that anybody who is not strictly wearing scarlet and gray colored glasses can recognize that Ohio State's defense has been the thing that has kept them from achieving their goals, whether that's in the Big Ten or nationally over the past few seasons, at least since 2019. As you look at this Ohio State team, like you said, they they have potential on defense, especially at defensive end, and they've got they're heading into the second year of defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. If they are to make a step forward to get to a level that is maybe not even on the same uh, defensive plane as Penn State and Michigan, but at least uh, a little bit closer than they are now, where does that big jump come from? Does it come from increased production from those two defensive ends, or does it come from the secondary? Where are they able to make up the gap if they do close some of that distance between them and the other two squads? Yeah, I don't think Ohio State's lacking for talent on defense. I think, you know, the issue, I mean, I think Jim Knowles is a great DC, by the way. What he did at Oklahoma State was phenomenal. Um, I think the difference for Ohio State the last two years, I mean, the first year was was just they needed a new defensive coordinator pretty simply, right? Yeah, yeah. And then last year, you're just adjusting to an entirely new system. And um, you know, I think the Michigan game was just uh, bad planning, bad game planning, bad preparation. Just they weren't remotely prepared for the possibility that Michigan might try to win through the air. Um, so if, to answer your question, I mean, I think – Closing the gap or becoming a top flight defense isn't about they need a better players here or there. I do think like, you know, I do think the transfer portal could help really um, have a big difference in the secondary this year. It's just, you know, becoming a, um, prof- uh, what's the, becoming masterful at Jim Knowles defense, which with Oklahoma State took a few years. But obviously, Ohio State has a lot more um, top level talent than Oklahoma State did. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things that I think a lot of Ohio State fans on both sides of the ball are looking at is, and this everybody in the country goes through this, but there's a lot of questions still even heading into game week about who's going to be playing where and perhaps more so on the offense, which I want to get to here in a second. But I, I think Michigan, the thing that kind of sets them apart is how much production they have coming back. When you look at what is returning for the Wolverines this season, does that give them an extra edge because it's just they have more experience under their belts or it's eliminating some of the unknowns that perhaps an Ohio state or some of the other teams in the conference might have to still deal with heading into the season. I think what Michigan and Jim Harbaugh have done a great job of the last two years is establishing an identity on offense and you know exactly what they're going to try to do and, and try to stop them. Right. And so we can sit here right now and I have a pretty good idea what Michigan's offense is going to look like this year. I think they're going to, you know, they're going to run the ball a lot against behind a very good offensive line with two very good running backs. I think the difference this year will be J.J. McCarthy takes another step forward in the passing game. Ohio State has all these great players, Marvin Harrison and, and you know, all these other receivers and Travion Henderson. And yet even then it seemed at time and C.J. Stroud ended up being the number two pick in the draft. And even then at times last year, it seemed like they were still trying to figure out exactly how to use all of them. And sure. the running game wasn't what they necessarily hoped it would be so then it becomes more about cj stroud but you can't expect him to do everything although he kind of did almost in the uh, georgia game and so now you throw in the wrinkle this year of of breaking in a new quarterback which by the way i thought we would have known who it is by now right so that adds a little bit of mystery um i don't as of this moment can't really predict like 
what's the Ohio State offense going to look like this year? Is it going to be more run heavy? Is it going to be all about those receivers? Um, you know, I think I think that the chances of them making my 10 and 2 prediction look dumb are pretty high because it wouldn't take much for it to all come together. But yeah, it is interesting to go into a season where I'm um I feel like I know Michigan Penn State's identities more than I will than I do Ohio State's. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think since Ryan Day took over in Columbus, at least you knew what you were getting, especially on offense. The defense has kind of been a mess because of how he handled some of the coaching decisions over on the other side of the ball. But especially on offense, whether it was Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields or CJ Stroud, you kind of knew what those guys were going to be, even in their first years as starters. You, you at least knew what the offense was going to look like this year, one, because they haven't named a starting quarterback that opens up a a lot of questions although both of them were very highly recruited coming out of high school but to me I think the biggest question and you alluded to this in your Big Ten predictions article is what that offensive line is going to look like especially uh, at the tackle positions we know that they have kind of moved things around from what a lot of the anticipation was coming into the into fall camp. They have a transfer from San Diego State who looks like he's going to be starting at left tackle this season. How important is is that to kind of determining how far Ohio State's offense can get to the levels it has had in the first few seasons under Ryan Day? Yeah, that was my um, single biggest concern of the whole team coming out of spring was that you could tell Ryan Day did not, you know, you're already losing two great offensive tackles and you could tell he was not happy with the guys who were trying to replace him. Now, the good news is it does seem like this, the transfer from San Diego state came in, won the job. They feel good about that. Right. So that's, that's a very encouraging sign. Um, But that, that was where I thought, okay, maybe that's not a great, um, I thought the combination of a new quarterback and unproven guys blocking for him could be a problem. So at least, you know, now they seem to have their answer at one of the tackle spots and look, either whoever wins a quarterback job is going to be good, right? Like they're not going to come out and, and um, I mean, they don't, they're not necessarily going to be Justin Fields um, or CJ Stroud, but I I think we know by now with Ryan day and the guys he recruits, like you're going to have a pretty good quarterback, but it is still a first year quarterback. And, you know, you look at, um, I'm not too worried about the Indiana game, but that that young quarterback, young inexperienced quarterbacks can go on the road in Notre Dame in prime time in, in the fourth game of the season. Um, that's not an easy task. So it's interesting. And just talking through it with you, I'm realizing, wow, there's a lot of there's actually a lot of questions yeah. and things to be sorted out here with this team. What's interesting to me is, is you look at whatever Ohio State decides to do at quarterback and then compare it to Penn State with Drew Aller, who was in the same recruiting class as as Devin Brown, just like 10 spots nationally ahead of him. Kyle McCord is a year older than both and is actually higher ranked than both of them. But one of the things that at least I and I think a lot of other Ohio State fans have dinged Ryan Day on is that he has never really allowed his backup quarterbacks to have a ton of game experience. Now, Kyle McCord had a uh, a start as a true freshman a couple years ago. And while Drew Aller was not the starter for Penn State last year and didn't play a ton, he has a lot more significant experience 
in games in critical situations than either Devin Brown or Kyle McCord does. When you look at Drew Aller taking over Penn State and you at one point, and we'll get to this here in a second, at one point had Penn State in the college football playoff. How important is the fact that James Franklin actually got him into some games in some critical situations? So at least for those of us looking, know kind of what he's going to look like under pressure where we don't really know that with either of Ohio State's options as good as they might be. Yeah, I do think I have a little better picture of Drew Aller as a quarterback, but I would also say, I mean, CJ Stroud had no experience, right? Going going into his yes. first season as a starter. Um, in fact, as I recall, uh, he came out, you know, they lost the Oregon game, but he was in the, in the second week of the season, but he was outstanding and up to the point where he seemed to be even better than, you know, it's funny quarterbacks. They are probably the hardest ones to project, like how they're going to play in the game versus practice. And it just seemed like he was, he would, he was far ahead of where they expected him to be coming out of, of preseason camp. So um, I'm not, I'm not too, too worried about that part of it. Yeah. And I, I think, because of everything that's going on with this quarterback competition, a lot of Ohio State fans are starting to actually get accustomed to the idea of Devin Brown, the younger guy, getting that spot. I personally don't have a preference either way. I I, I think we don't know enough about them to, to really go with it. But what we do know about is the wide receivers. Whoever is throwing the ball to that core of wide receivers will have some guys to rely on, especially uh, in Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. As you look across the entire landscape of the Big Ten especially, but then moving forward to a college football playoff or a national championship race, can Ohio State continue to compete if they don't involve the running game, if they just rely on those wide receivers? Is it possible to get to where they want to go, or do they have to be a little bit more balanced, harken back a little bit more to the Urban Meyer days where there was more of a focus on on not necessarily a 50-50 balance like Urban had, but at least something closer to that? Well, the interesting thing is that the answer to that is I think they absolutely need to have that to beat Michigan. But we saw in yeah. the uh, semifinals last year, um, uh, uh, I mean, they almost won, right? They came with a 15-yard field goal, and that was almost entirely C.J. Stroud's doing. So you don't want – I guess I guess the answer is like, yes, of course, you, you want to have a better running game. Um, I think that Ryan Day's, um, you know, regret's not the right word, but – you know, the fact that they couldn't necessarily like do what Georgia does. Georgia gets up on people and then just mm-hmm. bleeds you, bleeds you to death. Yeah. Um, I think he would like to have that ability to do that instead of every series is, uh, is through the air. And, and also because every series is through the air, Ohio state had a lot of like two, three minute drives, which kept that defense on the field a lot more than probably anybody wanted them to be last season. But you you mentioned Georgia and you do have Georgia as your college football national champion pick coming into the season. What's interesting is, as I was keeping up on your articles, you originally had Penn State as a non Big Ten East Division winner, still making it in to the playoff, just like Ohio State did last year. But a couple days later, when you did your official predictions, you made that change and actually put LSU in over them. What changed in your mind? Not that I expect there to be like something happened at fall camp, but what changed in your processing of these predictions Mm. that had you throw LSU in as that presumably fourth spot? I just shouldn't have (laughs) written. I write so many of these stories. I shouldn't have boxed myself in and written that, you know, Penn State 11. Because it just came as simple as this. I look if if 
if it played out exactly the way I had it, right, or Penn State is 11 and one, but not playing in the Big Ten title game. And LSU is 11 and one going into the SEC title game. I'm I'm guessing LSU will be ranked higher than Penn State. And if LSU lost the SEC title game to Georgia, the number one team in America, I don't think the committee would take Penn State from its couch and vault it into the playoff and drop out LSU because it had to play Georgia. That was really what it came down to. It wasn't about, yeah. oh, I think this team is better or this team is worse. I'm saying if you actually, you know, look, if you were actually picking the playoff fields the last night of the season, um, I think LSU would get that spot. And all I and I'm a big LSU believer, by the way. Um, I think they're loaded. I part of me was tempted to pick them to win it all just to be contrarian because it's very hard to three-peat. And yeah, probably chances are Georgia won't three-peat, but there's just not another team I felt confident enough to say, you know what, this is the team that's going to win instead. I'm looking at this grid now, and Nicole Auerbach and Bruce Feldman pick Michigan. And David Ubbin, to his, you know, God bless him, picked he LSU. Did. He pulled so the trigger, yeah. I thought it was going to be all Georgia. And look, I'm looking at this now. There's three Georgias and three no Georgias. So, um, no, I didn't scroll far enough. We have a third Michigan one, Sam Kahn. So, we're not as all in on Georgia as I thought we were. I mean, part of that has to be some people doing like you, you, you were saying, like, it's just tough to three-peat. Like, even in the best situations – you don't know who who gets hurt, who tears an ACL, what weird, wacky college football chaos happened. So I you have to catch breaks. Things. And in yeah. each of the last two years, Georgia caught huge breaks in the playoff. I mean, I think if Jamison Williams hadn't gotten hurt in the Alabama game two years ago, that Alabama would have won the game because it didn't seem like they had any answer for him, just like they hadn't in the um, SEC championship. And then last year, Marvin Harrison gets hurt. Right. So mm-hmm. you could have the exact you could have a Georgia team that's every bit as good as those and they don't catch a break like that or one of their own guys gets hurt right so history suggests something will derail them but there's not another team that i was like i i don't feel i like michigan a lot i don't feel confident confident saying they'd win the national championship i haven't yet seen them win a playoff game yeah well i want to ask one more question about on-field stuff before i venture over into the weird wild world of of college football expansion Uh, i asked something similar about the the defense earlier but i'll ask about the team in total if ohio state is going to crash this college football playoff party and potentially win a national championship this season what is the one thing that we don't know now that will have to be true for them at the end of the season is it as simple as the offensive line shores up and they end up playing better than expected or is is it something else that maybe is able to push them past Michigan and past Georgia who was in their way last year I think that all those things are valid but if you look at the landscape of college football the teams that win national championships now always have a very good quarterback and I include Stetson Bennett in that group even if he wasn't you know the number one pick in the draft so I think the most important thing is having a defense that you feel confident when they go up against the best teams in the country and the best quarterbacks in the country aren't going to give up a lot of big plays. And that has been a problem for them in some of those bigger games in the last few years. I mean, certainly the way Georgia came back last year in the semifinal would be that. So everything you said is important. They need to get the tackle position short up. They need to have a better running game. Uh, the new quarterback needs to be really good. But in terms of like winning the national, like they could go a long way, Right. But to actually win the national yeah. championship, I think they've got you can't win a national championship if you can't count on your defense in the in the key moments. Yeah. And, and I, I think for anybody who watched Ohio State 
closely last year. Like there was certainly progress in Jim Knowles' first season. They were a much better defense than they had been the year prior. But when they faced the two best teams on their schedule, some of those flaws were exposed and taken advantage of. Um, but let's, like I said, let's move off the the on-the-field stuff with Ohio State and the Big Ten. You have been writing out a great article that came out, uh, either we're recording on Friday, I think it was earlier today, looking at the ACC, adding some of those schools from uh, from the Pac-12, Stanford and Cal, and then SMU as well. That could potentially happen by the time this episode airs. Who knows, it might already have happened. The one question that I don't understand, and I've followed it kind of closely, but have never really been able to figure out exactly how this would work. And please feel free to correct me on either of these things. But to add teams to the conference, is it true that all of the other schools in the conference have to approve their membership? Is that how that works? It has to be by 12 to 3 vote. So 12 to 3 vote. Okay. The, the problem they were having initially was there were four schools against it, Clemson, Florida State, UNC, NC State. Um, if they could get to 12, then they would be able to to do it. Of course, as as we know, whenever there's – it's always a unanimous vote. Like we know yeah, we know course. Texas A&M wanted nothing to do with Texas coming to the SEC, but when they announced Texas to the SEC, it was a unanimous vote. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah it's – um, in fact, you know, to the point where you don't actually hold a formal vote until you know everybody will say yes. So if that happens, does that impact the uh, the grant of rights that would require schools like Florida State, who has been fairly vocal about potentially leaving, would would that allow them to explore options in other con- uh, conferences? Because right now the current deal runs through, was it 2036? It's a long time if, if they're going to stay. Or if the vote actually goes forward to the point where they're going to actually have the vote, like you said, and they know the outcome already, that they will be comfortable enough with the money that those schools that had potentially looked elsewhere no longer have to consider that option because they're they're comfortable with whatever additional money they will be receiving from ESPN and ABC. Well, I think it's safe to say they wouldn't be adding teams if there was any possibility that that would break the grant of rights. You know, so I think it doesn't adding teams doesn't um, blow the thing up. It's just that the new teams sign on to the same grant of rights the other team signed on. Um, in the end, the only reason this ended up becoming a serious consideration, because it's not like Stanford and Cal is an obvious upgrade to your to your um, marquee sports. If, if anything, it might be a downgrade. Was They saw an opportunity because ESPN is obligated to pay a full share pro rata for new schools. They saw an opportunity to, if we, these schools that are so desperate to get into our league will agree to take much less money than the others, we can take the money they're leaving behind and redistribute it to Florida State and Clemson, the schools that are unhappy. And we'll see, like, that maybe that quiets down Florida State for a year or two before they, they, uh, feel slighted again in a couple of years, but that's really the driving factor. I mean, I don't, Based on the, the at least the stuff Florida State's saying publicly, I they seem to they seem to have think they've figured their lawyers have figured out that if they ever want to leave, they can do it, grant of rights or not. So I don't think it's about that as much as they've been harp <clears throat> they've been um, pounding the table. We we deserve more of the revenue. We we create more of the value. It would be like if Ohio State said we should. Everybody knows like we get the ratings. We 
bring in the Big Ten money? Why are we getting the same amount as Northwestern? But the Big Ten has always maintained like that harmony. Uh, nobody's ever, as far as I know, said like we deserve more. Uh, Florida State thinks they deserve more. And so the possibility of adding these three schools and redistributing the money in a performance-based system, not an equal yeah, um, yeah, yeah, distribution, yeah. that's the key right there. If Florida State is as good as they think they're going to be on the field and in the ratings, that they get enough extra money from this that they no longer feel they're at this huge disadvantage to the SEC and Big Ten. It, it's fascinating. It's weird. I, I know there's a lot of people with very complex and and passionate emotions on both sides of all of this uh, expansion conversation, but it is certainly interesting to watch. Uh, just as like a, a spectator and and interested observer. But I'll get you out on on one last question here, Stuart. If there is a team nationally, and it does, I'm not even necessarily even talking about for college football playoff berth or anything, but just that you think is going to be especially entertaining to watch that might be under the normal fans radar. Who would that be this season? Under the normal fans radar? Yeah. Um, Everybody asks who who could be this year's TCU, and let's be honest, there probably won't be. That was a yeah. very unusual run. But the team that fits the mold to me is Oregon State because they are, they are always under the radar to the point where we're going about to drop them off the Power 5 grid. Uh, but they went 10-3 and three last year. They were the only team in the Pac-12 last year that had a decent defense in a conference full of explosive offenses and great quarterbacks. The one thing they were missing was a passing game of any kind. And so in comes DJ Uyunglele from Clemson, right? Who did not have a, you know, did not have the career people thought he would as a five-star quarterback, but he's better than what Oregon State had. And, and Oregon State also has this freshman, Aiden Childs, who's a four-star recruit who came in in the spring and just lit it up. So DJ will be the guy to start the season. But if he slips, this Aiden Childs might come in, it might be even better. You still have the great running game. You still have the good defense. And they have a very um, favorable schedule because the Pac-12 has several, right? Washington, USC, Oregon, a lot of good teams at the top. They're not playing USC and the other ones are coming to core ballots. So I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of ingredients here because everybody thinks USC is going to win the Pac-12 or maybe Washington. For Oregon State, in the last year of the Pac-12's existence to go out and yeah. – and topple all the teams that are leaving for other conferences and screwing them over. I think that would be an absolutely delightful storyline. If, if it really would. State, yeah, if they get the, the final PAC 12 conference championship and, and who knows, maybe even get a college football playoff berth out of it. That would be a lot of fun to follow along and laugh about all season because half of the fun of college football is laughing about all of the weird stuff that happens, especially when it is not happening to your team, because a lot of weird stuff and, and shot and Freud, uh, situations happen to Ohio state. So we we're used to being on the other I'm side. I'm hoping as well. you would save them. I'm hoping yeah. that if they, that actually happened, it would have to be what you described play remarkable run to the playoff, like TCU last year, that the big 12 would say, you know what? We want you after all, come, come on over. Look, I'm here for it. I, I, I think that would be fun. It would be interesting. And, the thing we all love about college football is the chaos, and that would certainly add another level of, of chaos into the mix this season. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for, for chatting about this. Uh, we look forward to your coverage all the time at The Athletic. I'm looking forward to just another great college football season. All right. Thanks so much for having me.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant and Conversation. Also, of course, thanks to the always insightful Stuart Mandel. I will have links in the show notes for where you can follow him on social media and read his work at The Athletic. If you found this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness. We are giving you two or three different podcasts every single day throughout the football season with voices and focuses that you won't hear anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. We would also love for you to leave a rating and a review. Our overall rating, quite honestly, has been a bit hampered by some negative reviews from years ago during a much different era of the Land Grant Podcast Network with completely different hosts that don't reflect the work and content that we are putting out every single day. So if you like us, but especially if you love us, head over to your podcast platform of choice. Give us a five-star review. Any positive ratings, reviews, whatever you could throw our way would be much appreciated. You can follow me on social media at BWWMatt. You can follow the podcast on Twitter slash X at LandGrantPods. And you can follow the site at LandGrant33. Thanks again for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.